Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Where am I at? <laughs> I'm a crisis. <laughs> um, I'm many, many things without knowing which one is more real than the other. Because it's time, it's it's time for reparation. The only thing I have in common with this character is that she's black. This does not look like me or sound like I'm me. I'm sick of being a side Indian character. It's like, it's a form of cultural imperialism. How are you supposed to feel that exploitation is the best you can LGBTIQ get? LGBTIQ rights are black rights. We have always been here, black queers, we will always be here. Welcome to Racecat, I'm your host, Ahmed Yusuf. And joining me today is Yasser Morsi. Um, but before we begin, we'd like to do an acknowledgement of country. We acknowledge the calling people as the owners of the land in which we meet, and we pay respects to the elders, past, present, and future. This land was never ceded in the process of colonization, occupation, incarceration, genocide that began over two centuries ago, continues to stay. And Yasser Morsi is a lecturer in politics at La Trobe University and author of upcoming manuscript, Radical Skin, Moderate Mask. Hey, Yasser. Hey, Ahmed. Um, yeah, like, it's great to, to have you on the race card. And I guess what I want to talk to you about is, like, we know you're a, a lecturer, basically. We know you're an academic, but but who are you? Like, uh, in, in more of a sense of what made you getting to this field, in, in a sense. Because I know a little bit about you. You grew up in a secular home, and your conception of Islam was very very base level up until university, right? What was that upbringing like? Well, firstly, thank you for having me. Um, and to answer your first rather philosophical question, who am I? <laughs> I'm a crisis. <laughs> um, I'm many, many things without knowing which one is more real than the other. But yes, in respect to my deen or Islam, it has been flows and ebbs, ups and downs, um, confirmations and negations. I've uh, really um, held a grip on it. I, I, I have a fundamental commitment, if I can use that word, um, to Islam. I, I don't have a discomfort with its central tenets, um, but of course, uh, in its abstract religion, um, is one thing in its lived experience and its concrete everyday realities it's an altogether different thing and uh, living in the Muslim community uh, in this particular time is both testing and <coughs> rewarding but almost always um, punishing what's that like? Oh, you'd know just as much as me <laughs> right? Um, look uh, I Sometimes I, I, I look back and ask myself, why, why did I decide to study politics? Um, because it's just um, a site of continual aggression um, in, the, in the kind of politics that I deal with, which intersects between... What do you mean by that aggression? 
you always seem like you're having you're fighting you're fighting for either your voice to be heard you're fighting for a group or people's survival recognition or in a sense fighting to overcome certain institutions one of which is the most dominant racism or you're just fighting for other muslims to recognize their own you know social ills be it patriarchy or racism within the community it's there's very little respite and of course with islamophobia being what it is everything's under the microscope and uh, there's so much at stake and very few people can take you know to use an analogy it almost feels like you're constantly wound up um and it's hard to breathe again you know i forget uh i'm i'm not saying this is the case for everybody yeah, but it's well, actually i guess what i want to talk about that in that sense is like i know you as a scholar or a critic or whatever that means, right? Mm. There's um, a quote you shared with me about being in exile. And I guess in that sense, is your existence sort of like that yeah. right now? I've never really felt at home anywhere in that sense, in the exilic sense. What's that like? Well, again, I, I think it wouldn't be much different from your experience because when you're here in Australia or you're constantly having to justify your position your locality your supposed loyalty your level of threat your proximity to liberalism and democracy your understanding of whiteness and what it means you know a performance of whiteness not even just an understanding because yeah. mostly you can't say it out loud in that sense you're always catching up you're always trying to belong and it's not that you want to belong it's not it's just that belonging comes with certain privileges that you seek such as security um then on the other hand, you know, when you're in uh, certain spaces that, uh, that you can call Muslim, they become overtly conservative, they shut the gates, they want to protect some authentic understanding of their religion. And, you know, if I go back to Egypt, where my family is from, I, I stand out, not, not because people there make me stand out, it's just, it's not, it's not the place I grew up in. And, um, you know, I whether it's my broken Arabic or whether my unfamiliarity with the places, uh, I just don't feel at home here or there. And in one way, to tie back to your first question about being a critic, I think in many ways that's um, a suitable place to be in exile, to continually travel in between. You talked about there, briefly about when you go to these places, it's not where, it's not like where you grew up from, so how was growing up? What was that like? You know, I write about this in my book. For example, when I was young, I went to do my prayer with my granddad, right? And Allah uh, took me and, you know, it was a big day. It was like, you know, my grandmother um, put some musk on my wrists and, you know, rubbed her hands on my shoulders and made a dua for me, you know, uh, it was a big day, yes, it was going to pray Juma, and uh, the family wished me farewell, and I was becoming a man, I was just a young kid, of course, at the time, and I'd go to the mosque, and it was just, it was a strange place, it was like, you know, it was the khatib, the, or the, the one preaching, um, the sermon was yelling, and I barely understood Arabic, right, and I'm looking around to gain some sense of familiarity, I'm looking at my grandfather, and... Um, you know, and then when it came time to pray, when the second um, 
when the Akama came, you know, it was then the second Adan came, then it was like, okay, now what do I do? <laughs> and I just imitated what my grandfather was doing. You know, I just followed the moves. And I remember saying, from one shoulder into the next. And this, I was very young. No one taught me anything. I mean, I, but this is what I mean. I, I was imitating what I thought it meant to be. So you were sort of performing a sense of religiosity. Yeah. yeah. And because that's, that's what now, in hindsight, I mean, that, that, that can be put down to me being young, me not being taught, but I've got to ask the question, how much have I done something similar in my whole life? How yeah. much has it been a performance of how I should be? Now, I'm not necessarily critical of this. I'm not saying it is less Muslim or anything of the sort, but that's what I mean. Like, I always felt like I was catching up. It wasn't natural to me. I, there's a story. All right, so, like, when I was a bit younger, when I was 10, I went to... To Kenya and um, I was fasting my first Ramadan, mm. and we just—I just finished. I think it was either my first or first few days, and I really was like, oh, "I'm just gonna dig in. It's uh, you know, it's it's afur, it's mm. uh, iftar time. We're just gonna eat, eat, eat." And then, <coughs> as I finished eating, I didn't realize there was tarweh, <laughs> right? And so this um, friend of a fa- friend of our family came over and said, "Let's go, Ahmed. Um, we're gonna go to the mosque and, and pray tarweh." Mm. So we go to the mosque, and we've 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 just prayed Isha, right? And during that, I'm, I'm like feeling sick right now. I'm like, oh my God, I ate too much, <laughs> and I vomit. Oh wow! In the mosque. Huh. Um, and I'm like, all right, what would a what would a proper religious, good Muslim boy do at this moment? Yeah. He would continue praying. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So he would continue praying, because you know w- when we we're told in this story, I remember there was a story when I was younger, that whilst the, whilst um, the Sahaba were praying, these men came and they tried to kill him, kill mm-hmm. them, but they continued praying in the midst of this conflict happening. Right. Right. And I'm like, I've got to, I've got to do that. Yeah. This is a conflict. This is my conflict that I'm having, and I'm and I'm going to fight against it, mm. and I'm going to pray continually through the vomit my face upon oh wow um, you know what i mean like <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, yeah and and and, and then and then in hindsight i'm like why did i do that like yeah my wudu was broken yeah one um the moss is dirty you're praying in a dirty mm. space right now why did i continue well but, you know yeah. to, to to borrow from you and um, part of this at least for me was that the you took one principle and that was like kind of um, a principle of uh, f- faith where you um, understand your religion through kind of a, a discipline or a determination. And it's a, it's a reductive thing because Islam allows for multiple uh, things you yeah. can do in that circumstance. But that's what happens. You know, like I uh, similarly, like I, I noted in myself as I grew older that every time I wanted to be religious, I just became more conservative. You know, I just became more disciplined, more kind of, um, I won't use the word hard line, but it was just like less flexible. And this this is opposite to the many, many different readings of, of Islam that I would get later. But it's, it's interesting to trace that my first instinct is to be, you know, unwavering. It's like, um, yeah. you know, to... Where does that come from? Uh, look, it could be an uh, an Arab upbringing for me. I don't know. I, I didn't have an Arab, yeah, Arab upbringing. I, I don't know, but it's a conservative element in my family that sees um, 
when you're religious, you are kind of less creative. Yeah. You know, you're more... Whereas where that doesn't really make sense. Cause yeah, I, look, it, again, like, I don't want to say this is widespread. Yeah. It's just my experience. But um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, it, it, didn't make, it doesn't make sense later, but I see it around today. I see it as well, in, yeah. In, in certain pockets that, you know, you, mm. like... Uh, it, jokingly uh, my young son when he decides he were he's in a religious space he will point his finger up at the sky and uh, almost give a frown on his face because um there's a you know a level of seriousness that belongs to the dean yeah you know and it's 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 a similar point so it becomes reductive however because you know i think Islam encapsulates a kaleidoscope of human emotions and not just mm. a conservative one. I think I think it's a particular political moment that we're that we're in as well in this sort of specific sort of practice of Islam outside of what we deem as home. Like mm. this idea that you become more you have to become even more authentic whilst you're away from what you can see that's yeah, yeah. the home place of whatever you're doing. Yeah. Like for example, I don't know. I think um, I think there was a saying someone said that the, the Greeks in Australia are more Greek than the Greeks there because yeah. they, they've held on to this idea or this mythology, right, of mm. of what being Greek is or what being Somali is or what sure. being Muslim is. Yeah, a few scholars have written about this, kind of like the paradox of globalization. So what yeah. happens is the more and more our traditions become eroded, the more and more we we depart and live in places that are not quote unquote traditionally our home the more we develop a passion and a desire for the authentic home that we've left behind. And this is what happens when people go back to be it Egypt, uh, Somalia, Greece, they, they, they look for what, what, what's been missing. And in my case, um, you know, I pursued an authentic Islam that was more Orientalist than it was, you know. Talk to me about that. Well, you know, you grow up here and your, the images that you have of the East, of the Muslim world, um, predominantly... Because you, you yeah. grew up secular, like, yeah. I, 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 I want to kind of understand that, really. Okay, so my, my, my family, were, they didn't teach me my religion. Yeah. They, they weren't, they were like, typically working class ethic of education. You know, they be conservative, good to your parents. You know, there, there was no... Look, we were Muslims. We did Ramadan, you know, maybe, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, there was no, no one woke me up for Fajr. No one yeah. um, taught me. I, I had to teach myself how to pray when I was on my way to uni. Like, I didn't... Uh, what was that, like, did you... What was that feeling of when you're in this sort of religious space and feel like you weren't knowledgeable? What it was, was that it, like? So... Yeah, so I had the desire to be Muslim. I had the desire to return. Yeah, and, but, but that... But you're obviously in these spaces right. where you would have to perform this idea of, of exactly. religiosity. So this but is you didn't why have it exactly. This, what yeah. was that feeling like? This is exactly why I bring up my grandfather's story at the beginning because yeah. I felt like I was always imitating spaces around me, which is important when you just begin to. Learn, but you should also be aware of it. Now, yeah. it was, in a sense, there is another conflict here that you. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. 
Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Trying to get at, and that is the more you perform authenticity, there's kind of like this imposter sense of you being an imposter that resides within yeah. you. And because you know that you're not that well grounded. Now, there was an additional problem for me because at the same time I became Muslim, I became political and I started learning and educating myself at university. about the, And I would talk about the political conditions. And that gave me some type of, um, you know, a platform, right? And then my politics was deeply shaped by the Muslim experience in liberal societies. And then suddenly, um, for whatever reason, people um, would look at me as if I am speaking from an authentic Islamic position, which wasn't my intention. I was actually asking whether or not liberalism would allow us to return to an authentic, quote-unquote, Muslim expression. Mm. And uh, it, it, to answer your question, then, you always deal with these conflicts and um, contradictions and these concerns and fears that you're just performing but at the same time Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is merciful and you want to return to something that's real and you if you believe in it then it's something that you have to pursue um it's just that i think you ha- always have to be conscious and open and visible to your own location in trying to learn about the deen the worst is when you think you're a lot further than you are or you're performing an authority that you don't have a right to perform or you're expressing a knowledge that you haven't learned Mm. that's when it becomes problematic but simply trying to be is the struggle that we have i want to kind of um move on to your your influences and one which is just obvious by the name of your book is um you know fanon's black skin, white mask. Yeah. And why is Fanon so important? For, for two reasons. Fanon changed the way I thought about race, racism, post-coloniality. Changed it. Um, <clears throat> up until then, I was probably a Saidian, Edward Said reader, mm. um, with certain concerns. But then there's this, and I, there's this moment where you read Fanon and oh, you just have to put the book down because it, it's kind of, it just awakens you to something that you haven't really thought about. It's both in content and form. It's not just the intellectual message. It's the, the raw voice of his subjectivity, his identity, his sense of self, his location as the author when he speaks. Within the first page, it, it hits you, right? And then as you unravel it, he, it, it becomes this intersection between uh, a discussion about race and racism and coloniality but also a, a pursuit of one's own sense of place and voice now i have to be careful because fanon is talking about a black white relation and he's talking about the, the feminology or if you like the the object that is the black body that has been turned and objectified by white racism i'm not clearly i'm not black right and in that sense i have to be careful about what i am borrowing as opposed to what I'm appropriating, what I'm continuing and learning from, as opposed to what I'm erasing. And what I take from my own book, uh, f- what I took from Fanon through my own book, was really, first, the form of speaking through a kind of auto-ethnographic exploration of oneself. So I am the, my subject matter. I am the object of my own examination. 
and where I am is the story I wish to tell. Um, that I that I took, but also the notion that Fanonian talks multiple stages, but one of which is the continual pursuit for white recognition, um, because our subject, our notion of self, is tied to that white recognition. I took that as well, but and then I wanted to ask the question: Are Muslims here pursuing a white recognition? Not because, you know, and look, there are black Muslims, there are non-black Muslims, there are an array of various quote-unquote ethnic, quote-unquote racial Muslims. But the pursuit of white recognition here is for a sense of location in history, identity. And, you know, every time a Muslim goes out there and says Islam is peace, jihad means struggle, yada, yada, yada. What is it that we're pursuing? And in many cases, if one borrows from the crucial crux of Fanon's messages, we're pursuing a valid, a valid sense of self through the others, the white gaze and approval. Mm. And I guess what was that journey to from when you first like you talked about like that feeling of that first yeah. pe- well was yeah. there a sort of like a resistance to it were you afraid of 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 like because because I guess like no I was angry you were angry I was oh. angry at myself I was angry at all sorts of things I was angry at Edward Said I was angry at the self-indulgent intellectual forgive me for swearing wankery that i had spent my entire life talking about concepts and ideas and the pursuit of representation because there's a trap in edward said's orientalism and that trap is that you pursue proper representation it's not his point but most people who read it start off thinking okay this is how they misrepresent us this is how they see us we have to pursue an authentic correct image of islam for non brings it back down to the kind of the concrete right the here and now the like the body and i i think you know i read how through i read how i was pursuing some authentic islam that was more orientalist than it was real like go back to my initial comment so so was because you're like i don't know how old you were during that period obviously you've been been studying for a period and you're like you've you've sort of fomented your ideas, or you've you think that you've fomented formated a certain level of self. Mm. And I and what was it like when you realized no, this is not how yeah, it is. But this is <laughs> what was that like? The, well, this is like okay, yeah, it happens more often than not. But Fanon was probably the the peak moment. It was, it was. Like I said I was angry, but I was also relieved. And you know, you, there's a moment where you just have to accept that you're wrong. I mean, it's not that difficult. For, for me at least when I it, no but it's not about being wrong it's more in a sense of like you talked about you you sort of this authentic Islam and then you you based yourself around well, that well here, here's the thing because you're in exile I think maybe you're just a little bit freer look yeah there are there are, th- there are consequences but at the same time well not necessarily consequences in the sense of other people but more about yourself like you kind yeah. of like searching for an ideal version of self and then you're told there's no such thing yeah as i said i was angry because of the time i had it it wasn't like i'd wasted time because you can't get to certain places without we it wouldn't have been as impactful if i hadn't spent a lot of thought prior to it i i was angry at the fact that i although was supposedly decolonial anti-colonial anti-racist i had focused so much attention on the privilege of 
rep debates about representation. Sure. Yeah. And that forecloses, erases, make blind the material coloniality and political structures that racism has created. Right? So I was, I was since I became really conscious of my first world yeah. location, right? Where I just want you to recognize me for what I am and that meant multiple things while, you know. So what do you think Edward Said's actually saying in, in Orientalist? He, he's saying plenty of things, but one of the things that I, I mean, here's the other thing, just to go back a question, is almost all of my readings are incomplete. They're like, they're abrogated, misappropriated. I put them down, I read them, I return them. I can't remember how many times I've returned to Edward Said and Fanon. You go to other books, you think about it, you sit there, you Facebook, your Twitter, you whatnot, you argue with this person and that person, yeah. and you layers, and then you leave stuff behind, you regain things, and then slowly but surely... So my, my book has is really just three readings of Edward Said, which could be argued as three misreadings, three readings of, of, of Fanon, and then they intertwine and so forth. So, yeah, so Said's saying many things, but it's more important to ask the question what we take out of it. And one of the most common things that we take out of it is, oh, look, the West has misrepresented us, constructed us in ways that is convenient. I've created the ideal other mm. um that's only half the story and it's not the best half right um the real crucial questions that come out of said is where does one locate themselves when we talk back what is the critical consciousness that is anti-orientalist um where is this place of authenticity that we can you know these are the real questions that come out of this book can we escape a hegemony the relationship between politics and power is clear but you, you can get that anywhere not just through said and then eventually there's a debate about, you know, would, if, if you're willing to go that far is, well, is there an authentic Islam? Or is that in itself orientalist? orientalist? Yeah. And then that has to be unpacked. What do we mean? Do we mean law? Do we mean the Sharia? Do we mean some, something ontological? Like, uh, is Islam everything? Is it, there's a location? Is it a geography? Then you start asking yourself deeper questions beyond representation. It's no longer about what is the symbolic image of who you are. It's about who you are. And it doesn't have to be static. Uh, so to answer your question, it's what we take out of Said that matters. And I think yeah. a lot of us have taken the one message at the expense of another. What do you think people are going to take out of your book? <laughs> I don't know. I don't want to know. Um, <laughs> look, um, it, it was really difficult to write because... Um, I, it, it's an it's autoethnographic, which means it's a lot about who I am. It's it's less scientific than one expects. But then there are there are moments where I become overly theoretical. There are other times where I'm just telling a story. I actually have no idea. I've got good reviews from very big key thinkers around the world, and, you know, and I'm I'm happy with that. But who knows? I mean. Uh, I can only tell you that it's a necessary. It was a necessary step for me to take. Before I move on to any other project, I had to write this book. What's next? Um, uh, a break. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, this look. I, I wrote this. Yeah, break. I, I wrote. I wrote this book in, even though the contract was almost a year I wrote this book in six or seven weeks and uh, love that deadline don't you 
<laughs> yeah, it's like the student who writes the, the day before. Yeah, um, and it was partly not because I, I I didn't know the deadline was coming. It's like I spent a lot of time not knowing how to write the book. So most people won't know this, but initially I was supposed to be writing about counter-violent extremism programs. Um, it was about uh, how the government and the state uses post-racial narratives to create moderate Muslims um, and the starting position that we were radical, right? And it was about the governmentality of the existing war and terror conversation. But man, I read all the literature on counter-violent extremism and, ah, and I couldn't do it. I just, it was just so instrumental. So it felt like the Muslim at the heart of this debate, almost every part of us was politicized and there was this like Western scope, you know, kind of microscopic view of every part of you. Like almost every aspect, every cycle of a Muslim's life was explored and examined for potential traces and clues to help us understand how one becomes radicalized. It was it really disrupted me and I, I just couldn't participate in that vocabulary. I couldn't talk about that. And yeah. this is when my phenomenon reading came in because you know, the language that we use inevitably is one that really shapes the house of our being and how we, how we engage in it. And I just kept erasing, deleting, erasing, deleting everything I did. And then one day I was so incredibly frustrated. I just, I, I did a dua, I wrote Bismillah on the screen and it takes a certain type of, you know, like, courage i guess just to say you know i'm not doing this and then but i've got a deadline now what, oh my god i've signed a contract <laughs> what's what's up and so i just started writing without thinking about what i was writing and i'm sure each and every one of us have been through this and all of a sudden a more truer voice to who you are and what you experience like came out and sure then, consciousness yeah and then the, even it, it shaped both style and form so i don't know if you know this but my book is very disruptive it's it's haphazardous and base it's not premise 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 argument clean chapter it's snippets of stories here it's illuminations it's there's some antidote there's some you know but isn't that right it's messy it's messy that's exactly what i call it actually i call it messy autoethnography because um my life's messy and there's no soothing conclusions that i'm trying to pursue here it's just how i've misread that misappropriated that misused that understood this come to this it's, it's really just a story about what we've been discussing first i I decided I'm not a terrorist, even though you tell me I'm a terrorist. Second, I pursued an authentic Islam and finally didn't find one. So now what, right? And then you yeah. conclude, well, the only thing that's left for you is to tell the story that you've just told, right? To write what, about how the fact that you cannot write. And that, I hope, explores the confines of the war on terror and how it prevents us from inevitably speaking and pursuing um, complicated identities. Thanks, Yasser. Thanks, Ahmed. <laughs>